Last week, I asked you to give me some questions, the things that you are interested in knowing about, or maybe questions that your friends have about the faith, some way that, for you to be able to answer those questions in a little bit better fashion. And you responded, wow, I got a bunch of questions, really great questions from you, varied on different themes and really different even than what we did last year. If you would like to, you can check out some of the answers or the questions we had last year. It was right around this same time. It was in November 2021. So I, I want to answer as many of them as I can. Uh, I would like to do it in a way that makes it so you don't feel rushed and that, or that I'm breezing through something. If I don't answer your question, I'm really sorry. I'm going to try to answer a couple of them online as well so we can have a few more that, get, that do get answered. You can feel like we got to those things. Um, but, boy, it's just going to be a little bit like this. So if this is your first time with us or you haven't been here in a while, we just finished a series where we were reading through several books of the Bible. And we had this big series. And so we've got a couple of things in between. We're doing a question and answer one for today, questions that you asked yourself last week. And then next week we have a special guest who's coming. And he is, uh, his name is Chamron Paul. And he is originally from Cambodia. He lived through the killing fields of Cambodia. And interesting thing about this guy, he, uh, he after immigrating to the U.S., at some point he ended up starting to go back to Cambodia every year purposely to look for Khmer Rouge people uh, to tell them the good news. And specifically, he looked for the people, he looked for the people from the camp where he was, the people who actually tortured him, to tell, him, tell them, you're forgiven, Jesus loves you. So he is an amazing guy who has lived out his faith. He's literally sought his enemies to tell them the, the good news. It's going to be a great, uh, so he'll be here next week for that. This week, though, we're going to be talking about these questions. And one of the things that I hope in addressing these questions, I hope that one of the things that gets communicated from this is that we can bring our questions to God. That actually having questions about faith or not feeling like you understand everything, that that's actually an okay place to be. That we can ask pointed questions of God. And we, can, we don't have to have all of our questions answered in order to be able to move forward in our faith. So I want to acknowledge, first of all, I know that there are people who are here who have been made to feel in churches that they've been in before that they couldn't ask questions, that those kind of things were something that we don't do. And so we can recognize that that is part of it. You, maybe you just felt that, or maybe you were told explicitly you're not supposed to ask questions. So let's recognize that that's... But that's the place that some people are coming from. Not all of these are questions that you have personally. Not all of them are things that even bother me personally or I even necessarily have a complete answer to. Uh, so I will say, hey, I don't necessarily have all the answers to all the questions. I think last year I called it question and response. <laughs> I can give you a response. I don't know if it's the answer. Uh, but not, uh, sometimes we, we, there's no answer because there isn't one. Uh, sometimes maybe it's just because... I'm not smart enough, or I haven't, I haven't, but other times, you know, I'm not necessarily bothered by things, maybe. Maybe it's because it's something that just doesn't affect me as much, or maybe it's just something I haven't spent enough time to actually think about and be troubled by it. So if you like questions, this is a great one for you. This is a good week to be here, and I hope that you can go deeper. I hope that this isn't the end of the story for you, that, that there are things that you can go a little bit deeper on this. Beginning in January, I will tell you, Jesus was the master question asker 
himself. And in the beginning in January, mid-January, we're going to have a series and a, and a series of study guides that go along with questions that Jesus asked. Jesus asked over 300 questions recorded in the Bible, and we're going to look at 12 of them. Um, but uh, Jesus asked questions, and it's going to be a chance for you to hear Jesus do that. Let's pray as we approach this time. Lord, may this time, even answering little questions, I pray that, that we will be thinking about our neighbors here in the room or maybe online. Uh, we're thinking about people who are asking questions in their heart and want to know, if only just to deepen our connection with you. Or maybe these are things that stumble and make us stumble and we're not sure. Help us to know how to answer forthrightly and cogently the questions of our friends and neighbors and family. That we know that it's logical to follow you, but we also uh, we want people to have an appetite to seek more. So we pray that that is the outcome from this, that we may see you with greater clarity, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, ready? Buckle up, because we got a lot of questions. All right, first question. Um, is it okay to learn about different religions and parallel themes, like compare and contrast kind of things. Yes, definitely. In fact, my wife uh, works for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and one of the things that she does is she uh, interacts a lot with Muslims, and she just led a group of students, actually, to visit the mosque that's over on Township Avenue. It really interesting. I was... I breezed through. I think I was there for about six minutes when I came through. But uh, you can do that. You can, um, I, I kind of wonder, actually, maybe we could do something. Uh, I had uh, groups when I lived in France where we would do a Bible and Quran discussion to be able to see, well, wh what things are similar, what things are very different uh, between those. And it was really helpful. Maybe my wife would actually lead some kind of discussion on that. And I think as we look at other faiths, one of the things that we end up seeing is uh, if we look actually deep enough, we get past the superficial part of saying, oh, yeah, they're all kind of the same, right? You go, ah, these are not pointing in the same direction. Uh, Hinduism and Islam do not point in the same direction. But they have very different assumptions about the world and about what we should expect. They make mutually exclusive claims. And so I think it's helpful for us to be able to go, hey, these things are actually not the same. I found, in my experience of working with Muslims, I felt that I was enriched by that experience of talking with other people of other faiths and asking them real, honest questions, not just trying to uh, trick them or something, but just to say, I'm curious, tell me about your faith. And I, I learned a lot. I learned the place where Christians and Muslims are the closest together is on the person of Jesus. The place where Muslims and Christians are farthest apart, the person of Jesus. Uh, so uh, there's a lot that we can learn uh, about other faiths and there's things. So, uh, so we have to realize that these things look uh, really different. We clearly assert as Christians that it is only through Jesus Christ that someone can be saved. Does that, but that does not mean that, that other faiths have, um, that they get everything wrong. <laughs> we can learn things about, for example, in Buddhism, there's a, there's a certain peaceful aspect for you're supposed to have, at least, in Buddhism, uh, that is really commendable. Or for Muslims, their devotion to God, I think that's a really commendable thing. So those are really helpful. And, and religions really are, uh, at their most basic, they're a worldview. It's the way that we approach the world. I will say one thing, that, uh, as we approach this, for us to think about, when we think about going to another religion, we think, oh, this is going to be different. We should, this is a different way of seeing faith. 
One of the places where we never ask that question, though, uh, about worldviews, about our perspective, the glasses we wear when we go to something, is about our own culture. And I think one of the things we can ask as we start to look at other, other religions is to say, what basic assumptions do I have about my culture? I assume that maybe Islam is going to be different or maybe combative to my faith. But do I look for those kind of same things in my own culture? Because my culture here in the 21st century is not neutral to faith. So what does it mean for me to ask those same kind of questions? We, we swim in our culture. There are good and bad aspects of every culture. There are good and bad aspects in different religions. And it's kind of good for us to get into that. I will say, by the way, uh, here at Simi Covenant, we do not uh, pressure people. We don't want that to be a part of anything we do. As you do investigate other religions, not everybody has those same feelings. All right? So if you are going some other place, uh, uh, know that other people might use a little more pressure. All right. Any of these things, if you want to talk to me about it more afterwards, we can get to it. All right. Next one. All right. Will my cats go to heaven? Is there a place in heaven for innocent slash sweet animal souls? Yes, for sweet animal souls. However, it's right there in the question. Cats do not have sweet animal souls. <laughs> Therefore... Make your own conclusion. Okay, that was pandering. I'm sorry to the dog faction of our church. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, in seriousness, in seriousness, uh, the, uh, there's not a ton in the Bible about animals and, and heaven, although uh, there are a couple of passing references in different places. It seems natural to me that if God created the world and if the world is going to be renewed, that a lot of the elements that we have in this world will be there. I don't ask the question about whether there's going to be trees in heaven, right? Uh, but I, I don't see why not. And I, I don't see why w there wouldn't be animals in heaven. God created a great diversity. I think we're going to see a lot of diversity like that in heaven. I think it would be wonderful. Maybe cats learn to play the harp. Um, uh, but we do need to be a little bit careful. I will say, you know, a lot of times when we think about this, I'll, I'll just say, sometimes when people hear this, it, this is a good one, actually. I think this is probably something you talk about with your neighbor. Uh, our neighbor has a, you know, a pet who dies, and it's, it's consoling to be able to talk about faith, life after death, right? Uh, sometimes for us, we can be so attached to our animals which is a beautiful thing. They're really good for us a lot of times. But sometimes maybe we're more looking forward to seeing our cat than we think about seeing God. So let's just, let's just be clear about that. I, I, um, it's not like a huge thing, but we want to cultivate a love and appreciation for God, of course, in that. So I think it's okay to tell our friends that, that their pet is going to heaven. The question is, one of the assumptions that people make in that is, why do our neighbors think that they are? Your cat's going to be there. Um, but I, I, think, I think it's a fair question to ask, and, and maybe we can think about what's a, what's a more winsome way that we can talk about. What does it mean for us? If in my life I'm rejecting Jesus all the time, why would I want to spend an eternity with him? Uh, that's a, we're going to get to the salvation thing in a little bit. Okay, question three. After witnessing God's... Are you doing okay? You're doing okay? All right. Hopefully, hopefully we're going to do okay. After witnessing God's glory during the reign of King David... Why were the Israelites so quickly drawn back to worshiping Baal and the other idols? Great close reading of the kings that we just, we just were going through from uh, Joshua to kings. I think that's really terrific. I will say uh, it's not just during that time that that happened. There, uh, 
there are tons of other places. Uh, Exodus 12 is the Passover where uh, the... God is taking his people out of Egypt, and the firstborn children of everyone in Egypt is killed except for the people who have blood on their door frame. The, during the Passover, Jewish people still commemorate this now. Um, Exodus 14 is the parting of the Red Sea, and the people come through. And one of the first things that happened, you know, just afterwards, Moses and Miriam, they composed this song, God, you're so great, you're so wonderful. Just after that, the people go, yeah, you know, this isn't that great. Why, why don't we stay in Egypt? This is not good. It, it, literally 45 days after leaving from Egypt, they're complaining and wondering about that. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. But here's the thing. What does God do in that circumstance? God sends manna. God gives them quail. And so God doesn't just, like, squish. He goes, Okay, the, um, and there's, what we see through the pages of Scripture is that God is amazingly patient with us. And there, I, I, I see it in my own life, right? There are moments when I'm so thankful, God, you've, you've given me all the things I need today. It's so great. And then one thing will happen, and I'm like, God, where are you? Where'd you go? I, you, I thought you, wait, did you leave? You know, it, it's like I'm a toddler, and the mom has gone in the other room, and suddenly mom has left forever, Right? So I, I think this is part of our human nature, that we have kind of short attention spans. Something amazing can happen to us, and just a moment later, we will forget about it. And, and I think that would be a helpful image for us to remember. We're going to talk about some of the, the, high, the crests and the troughs of our faith. Maybe it's good for us to remember in the trough of our faith what happened during the crest. It's, that, is, that is the work of faith for us. So when we lose our job... Uh, when a loved one dies, when our health is a concern, all of those things. I think we're predisposed to worry about God and what he's doing or even to take some spiritual shortcuts to find some other way to solve that. That's kind of what some of the worship of the idols was. It was like, if God's not going to be here, I'm going to find somebody who will listen to me. Uh, but So it's easy for us to kind of think about that uh, in a kind of clownish way, but I think there's a baseline trust that we lack for God. But that's what the story of the Bible is about, is that people, there are people who have, who lack faith in God, who God keeps pursuing. That's good news for me, because I don't always have faith. I don't always do it right. And so God is the one who persistently and steadfastly seeks after his people. I, I have a scripture here from Romans 5. It says this, you see, just at just the right time, when we were still powerless, not when we were strong and coming after God, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, a good person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, that's the story of the gospel for us, that God still chases us. All right. Question four. Again, uh, this may not be satisfying. You, you, may, you may not even agree with my answers. I'm, I'm curious, but uh, hopefully, all of, I think any one of these probably could have been our whole message time, uh, but this is what we got. All right, is God really an angry God, or is God kind of blocked from communicating with us when our habits aren't in alignment with him? So basically, this question is, hey, I, I've learned in my life that when I'm not really following God or if I'm doing something that 
uh, maybe there are sinful patterns in my life, I notice that my prayer life is affected or my faith life is affected with God. There ends up feeling like kind of a block between me and God. Who's, where's the wall? Is the wall on God's side, like God is kind of crossing his arms and not wanting us? Or is the wall actually on my side? I think it's a terrific question. Uh, there was a theologian out of the covenant church named P.P. Waldenstrom, uh, and uh, he asked kind of that same question. He said, when we sin, who is it that changes? Is it us or God? Like if there's a sin, is God suddenly angry with us? I think this has huge implications for how we understand what, uh, what God's character is like and, and how we even view what Christ did for us. So the short answer is we are the ones who change, not God. We're the ones who pull away from God. Um, our, we know that, that sometimes our habits will lead us in a direction away from listening to God's voice. The same thing can happen uh, in our lives. You know, Satan's lie to the, the first couple in the garden was, he said, did God not say you could eat from, er-? he, he said you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And that wasn't true at all. It was only one tree. But somehow through that, when the, when the first couple gave in to sin, one of the things that, that that meant is that we end up kind of swallowing that lie that maybe God doesn't have the best for us. God has some other agenda. God isn't wanting to take care of us. We can't count on God. And that's, I think that that's something that is just in our DNA now, that everybody starts with that penchant for thinking that God is not going to be there for us when we need him. And, and so what happens to the first couple? You know, when they, after they sin, they end up sewing together some leaf coverings, really rudimentary, really uh, just not useful. It's kind of flimsy. And I think what we end up doing is we kind of do the same exact thing, that we create these kind of small barriers to try to hide from God that are kind of dumb. And I'll say there's another example. The people, when they sinned, how do, it's God who is out there looking for them, not them looking for God. God is looking for us. So the story of Scripture is not us trying to placate an angry God. It's actually of a Father God who is faithfully, persistently pursuing us, chasing after us, willing to do everything, to pay the highest cost possible, to give his own life to save us and to bring us to God. So sin isn't just something that makes God mad. Uh, that's oftentimes how we see it. It's actually that we are choosing to step out of the good way that God has for us into our own way. We're trying to make ourselves God, and it ends up being destructive for us. Uh, and uh, we have to see, you know, God's way is actually good news, the way that God wants us to live our life. But our natural disposition is to think that God is trying to hold us prisoner or something like that. So, but Christ's redemption was, it spoke to that. It redeems us. It draws us out of darkness. Go ahead and put up that one from Colossians. For he, Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, or I guess the Father. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That we're, we're brought out of darkness into light, and that's what God is doing. He's bringing us out. It's not just stopping being mad or something like that. It's, it has huge, huge implications. All right, I could spend a lot of time on that one. Let's keep going. Um, question five. What is saving faith, and what exactly are you having faith in? Great question. Thank you. Uh, go ahead. And, uh, do I, is, there a, is there a Romans 10 scripture on that? Yes, there is. Go ahead and 
go ahead and put that in Romans 10, 1 up there. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, my son heard this verse, and he said, so basically you have to, like, say it and kind of actually believe it. Is that what it's saying? Well done. Good interpretation. Good one. I like that. Uh, so we, what we're having faith in is not a system. It's not like a way of doing things. It's not, uh, it's not putting us into a, a system of trying to become more moral. The, 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 we cannot, it's easy for us to go to church and think that what God's program for us is that we would become better people. I, I hope that that's part of what happens to us. That is not it at all. Because uh, the problem is a lot of times when we look around us, we think, hey, we're kind of we're good people. I'm not a bad person. I, I don't necessarily need God. We think that God's just going to give us that thumbs up. But we, what we have is we have faith in a person, this one who is willing to take us out of darkness and bring us into his kingdom. That God, it says in Colossians 1, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. That, that we have faith in Christ is really, so what is our faith in? It's in a person. It's in this person, that, Christ, who did this for us. And so what we can do is just recognize that we have been resisting God or find places where we've been trying to resist God. That's part of our nature that's been twisted. And it's, a, it's the reason why you don't have to teach your kids to lie. They kind of start off knowing how to do that themselves. Uh, but but like we said before, it's not that when we turned away from God that God started hating us. It's the opposite. God loves us. And, and in the same way that kids will perceive a loving parent who is maybe setting limits for them as being aggressive, I think that's our own perception of God. It's not that God is, is suddenly hating us. He still loves us and is pursuing us. So we needed somebody who is going to be willing to purify us, to take our sins, to bring us out of darkness into light. And that, that thing, that theological word for what happens there, why that happens is called the atonement. That God, that Christ was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what Jesus did on the cross, is that he was the perfect sacrifice. He's also the perfect priest, the perfect king, the perfect prophet. So in Christ we're purified. Um, so that Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. He says, Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. Uh, Galatians 2, 16. A person is made with right, right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. So when we, when we look at the whole Bible, at the narrative of everything that's happening in scripture, what we see is that, that God has been working throughout to bring a people to himself. Even if we resist him. He's wanting to pull us back to him. And, and he, it culminates in Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the giving of the Holy Spirit, the birth of, of this movement of God's kingdom. So we're supposed to embrace that. Uh, it gives us victory over death. And it, we look forward to Christ's second coming when he's going to finally make all things right in Christ's return. All right, well, I just used this word, um, but go ahead and go to question, the next question. What does Jesus mean by the kingdom of heaven? Is this something here and now, or is it just a state of being? Uh, well, the kingdom of God isn't a place. It's not specific people, but it is the sphere of God's rule. If Jesus is the king, his kingdom is where? 
people submit to his rule. So if you are wanting to do that, that is part of it. This, there's an author that states this. He says, the kingdom of God is about the dynamic of God's kingship being applied. So we, we look for God with that prayer, the Lord's prayer. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in our lives, in our world. And so Christ is the king in the kingdom of God. And, and in Christ, the kingdom of God, it, he, in Christ, he, the kingdom of God was breaking into our world. It was erupting into our world and kind of setting this kingdom of God loose here. And, and it points forward to the kind of healing and forgiveness that will be for the world. So in some ways, it is a little bit, but it's not yet in completion. So one of the things that we talk about in faith is that the kingdom of God and our salvation even is already, but not yet. So we look forward to a time when all of that will be completed, when God's kingdom will be here in fullness, uh, that it will be, that there won't be any more tension um, before, uh, with God or anything before that. So uh, the, the church is part of the sign of this inbreaking of the kingdom, that we, we want this work of God in our lives, and we gather together to celebrate that. Uh, and as a church, we look forward, the, the image that's given to us in Revelation 7, it says this, there's this great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And so this is a, a taste of what the kingdom of God is like. So the work of the Spirit, the work of the kingdom is going to kind of aim toward that. So whatever work we're doing of proclaiming the word of God, of doing that in every nation and tribe and tongue, that is pointing toward that thing. So that's where the mission of the church should use our resources in that direction. All right, we have got like six more minutes. Great, awesome. Okay, um, all right. Um, I'm going to have to skip a couple questions. Uh, like I say, I'll try to do some of these online if we can. Um, you know, this one feels super important. Let's, can we go to the one about rules? Um, so it says this, there are lots of rules from the Old Testament that are no longer enforced. For example, women on their periods are not allowed to be around or touch people, etc. How does this impact the church's stance on homosexuality and premarital sex? And you know what? I had decided um, as part of this, just to add to the excitement, is that I was going to draw a name out of the hat. And so um, we're going to go ahead and choose um, one of you who gets to answer this question. So Beverly, go ahead and come on up here. You're going to get to answer this question. No, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would make, there would be nobody here this week. If I had done it that way, right? Nobody would come. Thank you for being a good sport. I, was, uh, I, I want I to pick somebody that I knew wouldn't leap up too and be like, yes, my chance, right? And that's what I, <laughs> All right, great. I think this is a great question. This is a question a lot of other people are asking. You may have this question yourself. This is, and this is one of the arguments that we hear from people to kind of dismiss God. Hey, you know, they say, hey, listen, you... You don't have a problem mixing textiles anymore, so why do you have a problem with different sexuality, something like that? Um, and so it's not that those laws are not enforced. Um, um, I think I changed, I changed, it's not that those laws aren't actually enforced, it's that the, those laws actually aren't in effect anymore. Uh, that Christ has actually fulfilled parts of the law. He says that he is the true Israel. He's the one who has been faithful on our behalf. And so that actually covers some of the ceremonial laws, the purity laws. 
the way that we get purity isn't by following the law, but by being in Christ. Christ who followed the law perfectly. Christ who gave the perfect sacrifice. So everything related to the sacrificial system, fulfilled in Christ. Uh, everything uh, that from, I don't know, the way that we cut our hair to the garments that we wear, all of that has been fulfilled in Christ. Uh, so that's partly why we're able to say that. Uh, that, it's, that as you look at the Old Testament laws, the, the way that kind of reformers divided it up, they divided it up into moral law, uh, civil law, things to do with the nation and the kingdom, or ceremonial purity laws. I don't think that those would be divisions that people uh, in that time would have seen. All of it was just the law. Uh, but um, you're not allowed to make distinctions there, but uh, it's not that we're ignoring things, but we're saying, listen, we're not creating a, a Jewish society, so we don't, the law related to civil doesn't apply. The things that were fulfilled in Christ, well, he's the king too, actually. We follow him as the king. Maybe I need to change my answer to that. Um, and, uh, but there are, there's a lot from the moral law that does carry over. I will tell you that. Um, Jesus says this, he says, now, there's a lot of things that it, it does carry over, and he actually amplifies a lot of things. Uh, he says, do you think that I've come to abolish the law? This is in Matthew 5. Do you think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stro stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Uh, but... Basically, what we're told in Scripture is that parts of the law had a, it, it's not really an expiration date because it was a time when it would be fulfilled. It was fulfilled in Christ. And that these, what it says in Hebrews is he says, these external regulations applied until the time of the new order, this order in Christ. Um, so it's not, uh, it, doesn't, it applies until this time of the new order. So a lot of that moral law does carry over. I'll say even, you know, Jesus said, the law says not to murder, but, and he actually amplifies it. Instead of minimizing it, he says, hey, if you, if you look at somebody and you call them a jerk, you're actually committing murder in your heart. And the same thing with lust. It's, it's not just about sleeping with somebody else. Maybe if we, if we see somebody lustfully, we're committing adultery with them in our heart. So every time that Christ runs into these kind of the morality that we see in the law, oftentimes he actually makes it kind of our situation worse for us. And in some ways, we're supposed to feel more that we need salvation. So we, we accept that the church is supposed to have some boundaries. So back to our question. Um, so does the fact that these things have been, uh, that they've been fulfilled, does that, have an, does that impact our stance on these things? Well, it doesn't. And in some ways, it does a bit. Um, so the church's position on what constitutes the right boundaries of human sexuality are still in effect, um, in part because they're not based on Old Testament texts. Uh, there are New Testament texts that talk about that. Um, that uh, I think actually because of a lot of the popular uh, rub of the Old Testament stuff, it's probably not super helpful for you to refer to Old Testament things with this, just in your discussion with your friends. It's probably not real helpful. Um, there, are there are things in the New Testament that prohibit it. The most important is in Romans 1. Uh, but basically, we, we just say we affirm God's boundaries, uh, whatever the dimension in our life. And we recognize that none of us is better than anyone else, that we, we need God's boundaries for our flourishing. So regarding sexual practice or marital practice, uh, in uh, our, our church, in our denomination, the, limit, the position is this, faithfulness in heterosexual marriage, celibacy in singleness, these constitute the, the Christian standard. 
but one of the things that we start with is that, man, we are fallen people. And it doesn't matter if you are, if you are heterosexual, <laughs> cis person, if you, are, if you are kind of like what, uh, that you are also, if you are married, if there's a, it's like the healthy way for you um, to um, live out your sexuality with your partner, the thing is we have to recognize even in those situations, we are fallen creatures. All of us are fallen sexually, and we have to start that way. That should be a normal way that we talk about sex is that all of us are fallen sexually. It means that nobody, not me, not you, nobody has been untouched by this. And I think that that hopefully levels the playing field a little bit, that we say, listen, we're, nobody is better than anyone else, um, that our sexuality ends up getting devalued. Uh, it ends up being um, turned in the wrong way for um, a lot of Bad things, you know, uh, married people can use sex in bad ways. Uh, pornography invades our home. I think that we recognize that we don't always follow the boundaries of what God has for us. And I, the good news is that God loves fallen people. Uh, I think that's what I keep sticking with. And, and I want to say um, kind of one bit of this. If, if you are not queer, uh, I, I want to say that you need to remember that a lot of LGBTQ people in our families, in our communities, have really been hurt by the church. And I think that probably the, the move, we either want to ignore that that's a thing or uh, maybe, um, maybe we, just, we just don't do it very well. I think it's helpful for us to just say, hey, we, we don't do this very well. And that doesn't mean that necessarily our position has to change, but I think that our attitude does maybe uh, or maybe the way that we, we talk with people. So um, it's going to be hard for Christians, I think, it's, it's hard to have a countercultural view of some things and, and not be viewed as a hateful person, but let's not make it easy for people to think of us as hateful people. Maybe that's the thing we've got to say. Ooh. Beverly, I think you should have done that one. Um, uh, I have a couple of quick ones, um, if we've got a couple more minutes. Um, how do you get through a season of blah with your faith? Ooh. Um, answer tough theological questions in front of a bunch of people. That's good. Um, uh, A.W. Tozer said this. He says, there's little communion and little joy in the, in the Lord at times. To have a cold heart with little pity, uh, little pity, little fire, little love, and a little worship, it's spiritual lethargy. I, I, this is a guy who experienced a lot of that kind of stuff. We, um, I think we can notice that there are times when we uh, kind of make choices that lead towards spiritual lethargy, but I also just want to say, we all kind of go through those times. And I would love to read a long passage from, there's a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. There's a terrific, terrific passage in there. I can get, we've got the, uh, that one if you want to write that book down. I, can't, I could read it, the quote is a couple pages long. And it's a, if you know the book, The Screwtape Letters, it's a letter from like an older, more experienced demon writing to a younger, less experienced demon about how to tempt a new Christian. And it's really great. So everything's kind of upside down. They always talk about their great enemy, and it's God. And he says, our father below is uh, Satan, of course. Um, but one of the things is the, the main person in this wormwood uh, is, think, is really happy. Like, hey, maybe, maybe things are going really well. This, my person is in a trough right now. Yeah. And he goes, no, 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 that's not you doing that. God does that. Don't, and he's like, worse. Sometimes God, it seems like the, our terrible enemy uses those troughs more than the, than the crests to shape the faith of his, of his creatures. So in some ways I would say uh, 
it's, no, it's good to notice that we're in a trough, I think. Uh, it's, sometimes it's not really something you can really worm your way out of, uh, but you have to stick with some of the disciplines, I think, of staying connected with other believers, staying in prayer, uh, reading the scriptures, uh, and maybe it's not going to reward in the same way that it did before. If you are a new believer, I will say a lot of times this happens right after the first big high. If you first become a believer, you're so excited. Every, every time you read scripture, it seems to just, the fireworks go off. Well, then usually God will take a moment where he pulls back a little and, it, and gives us a chance to, to say, will we be faithful even when we don't like, have the emotion with it? Yeah. Um, oh, man, I had a good answer for that one. Shoot. Uh, that's a... I'll do that one online. Shoot. All right. I'm going to end with one last one um, just for the sake of time. Uh, I, I have an interesting, I would love to, uh, for you to hear about this one. This one was, um, how is the theory of evolution and its long timeline uh, reconciled with the creation of the world and humankind? Uh, so I look for that one online. I'll do that one online. Uh, last one, this is kind of brief, is the last question. Kurt, what do you want most for the future of our church? That was a great question. <laughs> well, I didn't expect to cry. Um, uh, I, there's a lot of things we can say about that. Um, I think I would like our church to be healthy. I, I would like for us to be a place where we can be spiritually and relationally, um, personally healthy. That we don't assume that people have to be healthy in order to come, but that everybody is on a trajectory to being healed. Maybe you've had something bad happen to you in your relationship with God or, or the church. Uh, maybe uh, any of those things could be part of your story, but I would, I would love for this to be the healthiest church in Simi Valley. And that, that doesn't mean that we have to be the biggest. Um, it, uh, there may be some other implications for how we do that. Uh, but, boy, uh, I, here's the scripture that I picked for that one. This is Ephesians 4. It says this, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. And I love it. It's the people that do the service. I like it that that was Moana's idea to do the video, to do the chosen. Thank you, Moana, for that. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until when? Until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Boy, that sounds full to me. That sounds healthy. Uh, that is a good direction. Uh, he says that so we won't get tossed back and forth by the scheming of, of the world. But boy, what I want for us is to, f to attain. Well, this is a small wish. I, I hope that we will attain to the whole fullness of the measure of Christ. Uh, but that's something that we can always strive for. But it's something that we can maybe start to feel if we're connecting in that way. And and boy, that could be a win for everyone. If you're you here for just a few weeks, if you're here for a season or months, or if you live here for your lifetime and you're hoping to bury me, that would be fine. Um, that is something for us to aim for. Um, so let's, I, I hope that our church can be that. And I hope that each of you will seek to find your place in, in helping with that, to move us toward maturity, uh, to use your gifts for God's kingdom. Uh, I hope that we can all do that. I apologize if I did not answer your question or if I handled it in an unsatisfactory way. <laughs> uh, I ask for forgiveness. The good news is I know I've got a Savior who does forgive me. L let's, let's pray. 
Thanks, Lord, for this kind of fun time to look at a bunch of different questions, and I think I only answered about half of them. Lord, it is okay for us to come to you with our questions, and you, we pray that you will preach good news to our hearts. We can aspire to something more because of what you've done in us, that we never feel like we have to earn our, our, your affection, that we have to do everything right in order to be there, but I, I pray that we never feel like we're done that we're done growing, that we, we can still grow and that you've got something for us. So wherever we are on the spiritual journey, I pray, Lord, right now that you will settle in our hearts, that you are a good father who wants good for us. And I pray that that can give us confidence to come with you, come to you with our questions. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.